You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. And now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. Welcome back to Financial Clarity for Doctors. I'm Corey Janoff, joined as always by Rochelle Vanderzanden. Hey, everybody. And today, we have a fun topic to discuss, investment return expectations. Um, this one can be a, a challenging one because our, our brains are hardwired to, to frame and anchor things a certain way, which is counterproductive to how we want to view our investments. And I think a lot of people as of late, you know, we're recording this at end of June, most of your portfolios, if you've looked, are probably down about 20% this year. If you haven't looked, don't. You'll just get upset. But uh, that's this is normal. This is perfectly normal. Investments move like a roller coaster ride. Every single year, we see declines, usually a, a, about double-digit declines You know, uh, throughout the year, even though three out of four years, stock market finishes the year positive. So it, it's it's a wild ride that crazy stock market. Um, but you know, we, we've talked before, if you're going to be invested in the stock market, it, it should be for long-term money. Any money you need in the next handful of years shouldn't be anywhere near the stock market because you just don't know what could happen. But um, you know, the, the whole point of today's conversation is to start framing things for you. Because a lot of people, when they see stock market volatility, which is always present there's never a it's never an escalator ride up it's it's always all over the map people often fall into one of two categories with with how they view it or perceive it they either think this is the end of the world it's just going to keep going down forever until we hit zero or it's fine nothing to worry about let's move on enjoy our life so we're going to talk a little bit more about the end of the world scenario and, and how to try and curb that reaction because the people who view it as it's fine are, are in good shape for the most part um and and feeling overwhelmed and stressed by seeing the stock market or your portfolio go down in value is perfectly normal you wouldn't be human if you didn't experience a little bit of anxiety or stress over that it's just trying to condition yourself to manage those expectations so that the the quote-unquote bad times don't really feel that bad and um you know maybe we don't necessarily want to go into the complete group of ignore everything that's going on but find a happy medium where we can acknowledge it but but try not to to stress out too much and overreact so where do you want to start here Rochelle well I think part of it is how we frame those expectations ahead of time and I think that's where sometimes people get stuck so we talk a lot about averages, you know, like over 30 years, we're hoping to get seven to nine percent or something like that in a you know well diversified portfolio, just as an example. Um, and I don't think that people fully understand that within that average expectation, there is a lot of up and a lot of down, and it can be significantly outside of that seven to nine percent average. 
And I think that's like the big thing is that, you know, people don't necessarily realize how dramatic those swings back and forth can be. I think, you know, one really good example was how far the stock market came back so quickly during COVID. That was huge at the very beginning in like March, April 2020, we were down what, like 30, 35% in the S&P 500. And it was a very unusual swing and that it recovered pretty quickly. So normally when we have that big of a, a, a downturn in the stock market, it will take a little bit longer to recover. But, you know, it was huge. And I think those kinds of swings are, are fairly abnormal. Like you don't see those a lot, but you see smaller swings very, very frequently. And like Corey said, you know, we can maybe average a double digit drop at some point in the year in a stock market, but that's also an average too. So some years, maybe it's significantly more than double digits and other years, maybe, you know, that's practically straight up with like some minor little drops here and there of like three or 4% or something like that. So a lot of times we want to really just make sure that we understand the range of what is possible so that we can kind of realize that even some of these bigger swings are, while not frequent, they're still normal. They're still part of what we expect to happen in the stock market if you're invested long enough. If you're invested long enough, you will see double digit or more declines. Like that, that's going to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. And I kind of want to go back to the, the average versus expected. So we we tend to equate the two and assume they're one and the same. You know, we like you mentioned, oh, long term, maybe the stock market or your portfolio will average seven to nine percent. Problem is, when we hear that, we fixate on that seven to nine percent. And in years where your portfolio is better than that, which is often, you're going to be happy and pleased. Oh, I did I did better than expected or better than average, so that's good. And then in other years where it doesn't do that well, which is common also, you're going to be grossly disappointed. Um, you know, when, when we're happy, when, when things go better than expected, we're happy. And when things go worse than expected, we're, we're disappointed. We've recorded a whole episode on this. You know, like if you, if you plan a vacation to Hawaii, you expect sunshine. If it rains, you're going to be disappointed. Even though when it rains in Hawaii, it's still warm and it doesn't last forever. Um, but still, you get the point. And, uh, you know, there have been a lot of uh, research and studies on this in the field of behavioral economics. I think uh, Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky were probably the early pioneers, but there's a number of other people like Richard Thaler and uh, um, I think Dan Ariely, uh, among uh, others, who, who've continued to expand on this research. But uh, a popular um, finding is that uh, if results are negative or, or, or we, we experience losses, we're twice as disappointed as we are happy when expectations are exceeded. So it, it, that's the loss aversion principle or whatever. Um, you know, pain is twice as significant as, as pleasure is essentially the, the gist of it. So when, when we experience losses, it hurts a lot more than, than the joy we get from experiencing gains. Uh, but I think if we can frame our expectations rather than fixating on this is what I expect, I want 8% every single year, which isn't going to happen. It's either going to be well above or well below that. So if we can expect that it's going to be a wide range of outcomes and you can expect it to fall within that range, then that can hopefully help 
ease the uh, experience for you and, and you won't have as, as extreme highs or extreme lows in your brain. You know, the portfolio will still have the roller coaster, but at least you won't feel the, the stomach drops as much. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, it's a <laughs> the thing we really want to avoid is reactions to how you're feeling and that loss aversion because if your portfolio is down significantly sure it stinks to feel junky about it it stinks even more if you sell at the bottom of the market and then you wait <laughs> way too long to buy back in like it that's like worst case scenario and that's the i think framing the expectation of what's going to happen helps avoid that which is really really important um, we're going to talk a little bit about some math for a second, so try to bear with us. But I think many of you understand the concept of standard deviation and how it works is that we expect roughly two-thirds or 68% of results to fit within one standard deviation. And we're going to circle back to like why we're even talking about this in a second. But we expect 95% of results to fall within two standard de deviations and 99% to fall within three standard deviations. So if we're relating this back to sports or something like that, let's say we have Michael Jordan and he averages 30 points a game. So within a standard, de with a, okay, so then we give the number. The standard deviation, let's say, is five. Five plus five minus. So two thirds of the time with that one standard deviation, he'll score somewhere between 25 and 35 points in a game. So that's minus five or plus five because the standard deviation is five. 95% of the time, he'll score within two standard deviations, which is 10 plus or minus or 20 to 40 points. Um, if the standard deviation is 10, two thirds of the time, he'd score between 20 and 30 points. 95% of the time, he'd score between 10 and 40 points. So this is important because it, it gives you this like really broad range of how things can potentially turn out. Um, if we're looking at the S&P 500 as an example, let's say the historical yearly average is about 10%. If we have a standard deviation of 15, so plus or minus 15 from that 10%, if we're looking at two standard deviations, that's plus or minus 30. So 95% of the time, it will land somewhere between negative 20%, so 30 less than that 10, and positive 40% which is a huge range. That means five out of 100 years, it could be worse than negative 20% or better than 40%. Um, that's, that's really big. I think that people don't understand like the, how dramatic that variability can potentially be. For sure. Yeah, and there's definitely some extreme outliers with the stock market that can skew things a little bit. Um, and the, again, these are just hypothetical examples. This isn't... Uh, you know, the, the exact uh, world behind it. And, um, and I think I put a typo in there when I was creating these notes, Rochelle, on the, the Michael mm -hmm. Jordan example. The, the standard deviation of 10, yeah, it would be uh, if, if the mean or average is 30 points, if the standard deviation of 10 would be, he would score between 20 and 40 points two-thirds of the time, and 95% of the time it would be between 10 and 50 points. So that's the expectation. We would expect in the majority of games, maybe a couple games a season, 
you know, three or four games a season, he would score less than 10 or more than 50. That's probably typical for MJ. You know, he'd, he'd put up a, a couple 50-pointers a game. I think the less than 10, though, and this is, you know, this standard deviation assumes a normal bell curve. In reality, it could be skewed a little way one way or the other. I think his lowest point total until he became a, a, a whatever Washington wizard at the second comeback of his career, I don't think he ever scored less than 12 in a game, but he definitely put up a few 50 and 60-pointers. And stock market, you know, we, we've seen some extreme drops. There have been, you know, 50 plus percent drops in the stock market, even though in that example we threw out there, if the standard deviation um, is 15, which is, I think, pretty close to the actual historical average, um, you know, 50 would be a pretty significant, negative 50 would be a pretty significant outlier. But it happens, you know? Five out of a hundred years, it could, it could, you know, even if the, the the band that we're sticking within is negative twenty to positive forty, there's going to be a few times throughout your lifetime where it falls outside of that, and it could be significantly outside of that. Um, and uh, so, I think if we can frame our expectations that way and expect that wide range of possible outcomes. Um, rather than fixating on what's the average, what's the average, what's the average, and if I'm plus or minus, things either did better or worse. No, what what you should expect is that range. You know, if like, you know, if you're a golfer and you you hit a drive off the tee, you're not expecting to hit it straight down the middle every time. If you if if you do, you, you probably wouldn't be listening to this podcast because you're on the the pro tour. You're not a doctor. <laughs> if you could hit it straight down the middle, even the pros don't hit it down the middle. They are off in the woods, off the fairway. You know, if you can try and stay between either side and stay within the fairway, that's pretty good. And even then, it's probably only half the time you're hitting it in the fairway. The other half, you're off the rain, off the fairway. So that you know, try and frame your investments the same way. Don't expect it to go straight down the middle every time. It's probably going to be a little right or a little left, and occasionally way right or way left. Um, it's impossible to be perfect. I actually really like that example. I don't play golf because I can't ever hit it down the fairway. <laughs> but I've definitely seen plenty of golfers, and it is so true that it can just go anywhere sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, I try and tell myself that. If the pros can't do it every time, how am I supposed to do that? So maybe <laughs> practice more chipping and putting because the drive isn't ever going to be solved. It's just not happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of things to learn just by drawing parallels in, in your personal life. I'm sure everyone listening can think of something that they do, you know, on a regular basis where you don't always get the desired result every time. It's just not, it's not possible. Um I think the other thing is that how the like investment returns kind of line up is going to affect like what your actual portfolio value is and it may be different than the average. So for example, if you start with $100 in a portfolio and in the first year you see a decline of 50%, you're down to 50, you have $50 now. And then let's say in year two it grows by 60%, so now you have a 30-year gain, or $30, sorry, gain on that, that $50. So you have an average return of 5%, that 50 plus 60 divided by 2, but you only have $80. 
you know so if you have a big decline and then you have you know a good size increase the following year it has to be significantly bigger the following year to make up for what that was which is why you know sometimes when we see big pullbacks in the market it can take several years to recover from those big pullbacks because it's it's a lot of ground to recover at that point so a loss of 50 percent requires a hundred percent gain to get back even and that that matters a lot i think when you're younger the thing that we can think about a lot is if we do see especially big stock market declines if you're in a position to be able to save more at that point those dollars like you're starting let's say you have a hundred dollars to invest in the stock market's down 50 percent like that new hundred dollars that you put in it only sees the gains it doesn't see the losses that already happened because you know it wasn't invested when the loss came down so the the new money that you put in can be really valuable when you do see stock market like coming back and declining and on the flip side, if you're getting closer to needing your money, that's why we want to gradually become more conservative as investors and the money we need in the next few few years, get it as far away from the stock market as possible. Because if we do experience that 50% decline, like you said, Rochelle, you need a 100% return to get back to even. You know, if you start with 100, you're, you're down to 50, the 50% loss. And then you need to double that to get back to a hundred. Um, so you know it, 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 it'll take a little while. Um, another thing, kind of on that note, you know, a lot of people get into the whole timing the market thing, like, or, or <laughs> you know, let's try and figure out what sector is going to give us the best return. Ooh, I want to invest in tech stocks or healthcare, or you know, maybe the broad market is, is a little uh, nuts. But if I can kind of pinpoint the area of the market, like you know, whatever that may be, then, then I might be able to, to beat it. And the problem with that is, is, is you're essentially gambling. You're trying to predict the future, which is impossible, and do it not just on a broad scale, but on a, like, pinpointed scale, which is even harder. It's like throwing darts in a, in a bar. You know, tough to hit that bullseye consistently. Um, there was a really good article uh, published a few weeks back, or you know, maybe a month or two back by the time this comes out, um, from the blog, uh, a wealth of common sense. Ben Carlson has a, a good blog that he writes, and um, this one looks like it was published June 12th, and it, it's titled the S&P 500 Sector Quilt. And he basically takes the the large U.S. stock market, so the 500 largest U.S. companies, and breaks them down by sector: healthcare, technology, um, etc. And it's pretty fascinating because it, it literally looks like a colored quilt that your grandma would have hand knitted with, you know, pinks and blues and whites and purples. And it's, uh, it's very colorful. Um, and it's, it, it's, you know, there's no pattern involved at all. It's every color represents a different sector and it's ranked in, in, in each year, chronological order, left to right. Um, from best performing sector to worst performing sector that year. And it, it's nuts. You know, like recently energy stocks have been the best, but the prior several years they were the worst. Um, you know, the you know, real estate's, you know, all over the map, healthcare's all over the map. It's like, you know, one year that sector does the best, one year it's the worst, some years it's kind of ho hum in the middle. Um, and even, and then, it, 
in the uh, in the quilt itself, he has the entire market uh, represented. So you have all the the pieces of the puzzle, and then you have the entire market in aggregate put together, which is kind of right down the middle of the fairway. Um, to go back to that golf analogy, you know, it's it's not always perfectly centered, but it's usually you know one or two above or below, which makes sense when you average all the parts together. It should you know come out somewhere in the middle. So the whole point of this to help manage the range of outcomes of your portfolio, we want to be diversified. If you own a little bit of everything, your portfolio in aggregate, it'll never be the best in any given year, because in order to have the best performing portfolio, you have to put all of your money in the best performing thing for that year. So if you own a little bit of everything, you're always going to have some components performing better than others. But you'll never have the best performing portfolio, but just probably more important, you'll never have the worst performing portfolio. You know, if you put all your money into one sector and that sector blows up, that's going to be tough to recover from. You know, going back to that sequence of returns, if we experience a 50% decline, we need a 100% gain to get back to even. Well, if you experience an 80% decline, which is not uncommon for an individual sector, you're going to need a 400% or a 500% return to get back to even. So that could take you decades or a lifetime or, or multiple lifetimes, depending on how the future holds for that particular area. So I think you got to be really careful with trying to pinpoint and, and concentrate your investment dollars into one sector or one stock or, or one thing, because if it, if it doesn't work out, you may never recover those losses. Um, if you invest broadly, a little bit easier to get back to even within a handful of years. No guarantees, of course, but um, you're definitely gambling a bit if you concentrate it all into one thing. I think there's lots of good examples of that too. So, you know, you can think about like the dot-com bubble where everyone just wanted to invest in tech companies because it seemed like you couldn't lose. You know, like technology was advancing so quickly and there are all these new goods and services and things that you could access online and it was so much easier than it used to be. But people were investing so much money in that sector that it was a lot more money being invested than actual revenue was being produced and it just it just didn't make sense you know and then it just all fell apart eventually so if people had a well diversified portfolio sure they lost money but they didn't lose nearly as much as if they had just doubled down on tech stocks entirely um we've seen and a then little it, bit of that recently yeah. too with tech companies yeah you i know, think so there's mm-hmm. been a lot of new issues in the last few years. Companies that have IPO'd with no profits, you know, and all the investment dollars were more or less based on hype and, and future expectations. And then this year, a lot of those companies have seen their stocks fall 70, 80, 90% just because, you know, investors, you know, Another topic we're going to cover is, you know, recessions, um, which will probably be the next episode. But uh, people are kind of tightening their belts thinking, hey, I don't want to throw my investment dollars at companies on the hope that they'll turn into something. Let's let's go for things that are actually valuable. And you're starting to see companies that have been consistently generating profits for decades have have seen their stocks hold relatively steady, um, whereas some of these high-flying up-and-coming tech companies of the future that, again, don't really have, you know, much 
earnings or profits, their their stocks have struggled a lot this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think COVID also did some really interesting things to the market in that, you know, things that were very convenient and easy to access from home had a lot of priority for a while there because that was really important to people. You know, and they were generating revenue, but they're not generating as much revenue now, you know. And even like some of the companies that seemed invincible, like some of the streaming companies and seem things like that, like they're losing viewers. And you're starting to finally see some of those stocks come back a bit where people just thought they couldn't lose for the longest time. So, I mean, coming back to the original point, diversification is really, really important. So you're not overexposed to something that could lose so much value so quickly. For sure. I think kind of to summarize, expect a roller coaster. It's never going to be a smooth escalator or what's, what are the moving sidewalks in the airports? Um, it's, it's always going to be a bumpy moving ride. walkway. And yeah. Moving yeah. walkway. Your investments are, 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 it's going to be a bumpy ride. It won't be smooth. So expect that. Don't go in expecting a comfortable journey, you know, buckle the seatbelt, hold on tight because it's going to be a roller coaster ride. But if you like, when you go to the amusement park, you're going because you want the roller coaster ride. You're expecting the big drops and the wild swings and twists and turns and loops. Um, and, and you have a great time because you expect to get that. And if you don't get the drops and the loops and the turns and the twists, then you're, you're probably going to be a little bummed out that it wasn't a very good amusement park. Um, but with your investments, I think if we treat it like the amusement park and, and expect the roller coaster ride, that, that's, that's good. It means it's working. Um, it, it's doing what it's supposed to do. So if it's a, if it's a smooth ride, we got to maybe be looking over our shoulder because something's probably, we're probably missing something if it's going smoothly. Absolutely. Thank you for listening, everyone. See you next time. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP, Instagram at Corey Janoff, or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on Instagram, Vanderzanden Rochelle, or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzanden. Check out all of the podcast episodes on the finitygroup.com slash podcast on our Finity Group YouTube channel or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our Financial Clarity blog at thefinitygroup.com slash blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Finity Group, LLC.